Well, good morning. Let's pray. Father, we do want to be yours and yours alone. And uh, we want to be reminded again, just from what Taylor sang, that the uh, best thing for us is to come to you and surrender each day fresh to say we're at your disposal and whatever you want to do, um, you can do it. And we are just wanting to be uh, empty vessels for you. We pray you'll keep us alert right now as we Look into your word and that we will leave here with something, that we will take some manna, some food, uh, that will strengthen us for the week that's ahead. We just thank you for the body of Christ and for this group of believers now. We pray your blessing on all of us as we uh, just study your word for a few minutes together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to, uh, we're going to be in a few places today, but main text is Matthew chapter 4. I was just thinking as I was praying about alertness, the, how this is about the time when, with, even with best intentions, that those of you who are on the listening end, sometimes your eyes can get a bit heavy. Reminds me of a story of a lady who was known as Winston Churchill's main revival, I'm sorry, main rival in Parliament, and he was given a speech. And Churchill, with his usual enthusiasm for this rival, dozed off while the lady was speaking. And she stopped in the middle of her speech and awoke Sir Winston by yelling, Mr. Churchill, must you sleep while I talk? And Churchill sleepily replied, no, ma'am, I do so purely by choice. And, uh, this morning, I want to look on the subject of, and just for the few minutes we have together on the Wonderful theme that we've been handpicked for the harvest. And it sounds like I'm scratching where you've already been itching over the weekend. And even from the song that was sang this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22. Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Then if you would turn to... John chapter 15, verse 16. John chapter 15, verse 16, where Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name He may give to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you. You know, in my job, uh, I'm constantly answering phone calls, listening to calls that are coming in. Matter of fact, I was talking so much yesterday that my jaw was hurting, and so I took a couple of Tylenol, and it was just from so much talking and, and listening and calls that were coming in. 
One of my jobs is, of course, is to answer all types of calls. And sometimes they're coming in fast and furious. Remember one night where four lines rang at the same time. And I was the only one answering lines. And I said, Hayward Police, can you hold? Hayward Police, can you hold? Hayward Police, can you hold? And the fourth one, I said, Hayward Police, can you hold me? And the person didn't pick that up and they didn't hear it. But there were so many calls coming in, it slipped. Can you hold me? Is what I felt like I wanted to say that point. <laughs> Remember one time a person called and I was getting a description of what they looked like and the clothing they were wearing. That's normally what we do. And I... It's typical, and so it was a domestic disturbance that came in, and for some reason I asked the caller, I think it was a relative who was at the house that day, and um, was reporting that the mother and father were having some kind of an argument, and I just remember saying, does, does anyone have any clothes on? I mean, as, as opposed to <laughs> asking what they were wearing. But without a doubt, the most important phone call that I have ever received And for that matter, the most important phone call that you will, or should not say phone call, but call that you will ever receive is the call where you hear the voice of Jesus Christ. And he's on, if you like, the other end of the line. And you're responding to that. You don't need to turn to it, but Mark chapter 10, verse 49, there was this blind man named Bartimaeus. And these wonderful words where he was a blind beggar and he was calling out for for Jesus And the disciples had these comforting words where they said to him, He is calling for you. Wonderful words. And one of the exciting things about in this area of the handpick for the harvest, the first point really is is that we need to remember as as children that we've been called by Jesus Christ. And this is the most fascinating call that you will ever hear or respond to in your life. You see, in rabbinical circles, what would happen is, is a disciple would choose his own master And he would voluntarily join his school. But what we see in Matthew chapter 4 and in John 15 is is that the initiative lay with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he said in Matthew 4, come follow me, what he was saying is, is walk the same road that I'm on, not behind me, but actually right alongside with me. We've all experienced the emotion of being called in one way or another. Imagine in August, for example, where the Olympics are taking place in Beijing. If there was someone here from this fine-looking audience where somehow you get a call from the Olympic Committee and someone here is called to represent the United States in Beijing. I imagine that whoever you are, your approach to that event of having been selected and having been chosen to be involved in the Summer Olympics is going to be a lot different from someone who's chosen to go as a spectator or as someone who's just going to go watch. If you were really athletic and you were involved and you'd been involved in this whole training process and all the commitment that's involved, in, for imagine that being on the Olympic team, there is total dedication, total sacrifice, there are foods that you won't eat. There's foods that you, will, you might even not want to look at. There's exercise. And there's just all of this commitment and sacrifice and dedication because you have experienced the privilege of being chosen. Well, you say, you know what? That's never going to happen. Olympic Committee is never going to ring my phone. And neither mine. However... 
we have been chosen by even a greater calling, and that's by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And the amazing thing about it is, isn't it, as we just think about this again and reflect on this just for a few moments again today, is that whereas the Olympic scenario might be because there's something about our abilities that gets us in that position where someone would even consider us, when it comes to this, it has nothing to do with our ability or talent that God would call us to himself. Nothing. Those of you in your memory class, I'm sure you've covered Titus 3.5. He saved us, not on the basis of works that we have done. And we know the verse very well in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, that we've been saved by grace, that it's not as a result of works, that there's no one here that can boast and say it's because of anything that I have done, not at all. And so when we think about this again today, that we have been called just like the disciples were, that if you're here today and you have heard his voice, it's an absolute honor and privilege. And shouldn't it affect, I ask you, shouldn't it affect our attitude afresh as to the marvelous privilege that we've been given to be representatives and ambassadors for him? It's a high calling. And it's a calling of privilege. And with it comes responsibility. And not only have we been called by Jesus, but we've also been called, as you can see from the text there, just in that one passage, we've been called to him. And again, this was unique because for the Jewish rabbi or the Greek philosopher, they expected their new disciples to commit themselves to a specific teaching or a specific cause. And yet with the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was calling them, he was saying, this is a personal call. I'm calling you to myself to follow me, to be with me, and to commit yourself wholeheartedly, 100% to me. Now, if there's any dog lovers here this morning, and if you have one, you know that sometimes you can understand if you're a dog lover and you have a dog, why they're called man's best friend. And the particular mutt we have that we've had now for about three and a half years, he was a Hayward dog, so he's just a mutt. <laughs> he does have a tail. I always remember when we lived in Dublin, Ireland, that there was the south side, which was the nicer side, and a little uh, less violent, and then there was the north side. And the joke was, was, how can you tell a difference of a dog from the south side or from the north side? And it was the south side dog has a tail, whereas the north side dog doesn't because it's a lot rougher area. But this particular dog we have, what he does is, is and I'm sure this is true for so many of you, they, they follow. My particular dog, and I don't know why, because I'm not the only one who feeds and takes care of him. Actually, the whole family does. But it seems like when I come home, there's that, you know, tail wagon, happy to see you thing. And then when I'm going up the stairs, he's literally trying to get right alongside the stairs with me. If I move from one location, he moves to that location, and he has to sit right beside me. If I get up, he has to get up. And, you know, sometimes it's a little bit of a pain, but he understands, doesn't he? And a dog sometimes seems to understand this picture of what it means to follow their master, to be right alongside them. When you and I were called by the Lord Jesus Christ to follow him, and the disciples were sometimes slow to realize this as you're reading through the Gospels, that they sometimes forgot, needed to understand that it wasn't primarily for their own benefit that they were being called. And they were sometimes slow to realize this. And they would be wondering, you know, we've left everything to follow you. What are we going to get out of it? You know, what's in it for me? You know, what's, what are the fringe benefits of being a follower of Jesus? 
and he would have to remind them that there was a lot that they were going to receive, but it wasn't about what they could just get out of it. When you and I live our lives, and Dean made reference to this really this morning, in effect, it's not all about us. The way we live our marriage, the how we conduct ourselves in school, how we are in the workplace, how we are in times of trial and heartache and difficulty, and a number of you have had your fair share of that. You probably feel you've had your couple years quota already, but you've had it. And how you live and the joy that they see that you have and that I have makes a huge difference as to how we live and the impact we have. When we think that we've been called by Jesus and to him, mindful of the fact that you have a greater purpose here on earth than just getting up in the morning, eating, going to work, coming home, maybe watching a little television, going to bed, and then repeating the cycle over and over again. It's, the Christian life is much more than that. And God wants us to remember that. When it came to sharing their faith, that did not occur immediately either, does it? If you go through Matthew, Mark, and Luke and John, you read that Jesus had to help them to lose their fears, to understand the urgency of the task, and to strip them like an onion, little by little, of their pride and self-confidence. Remember when the Peter, in Luke chapter 22, verse 33 and 34, he said, Lord, with you... I'm ready to go to both to prison and to death. The Lord Jesus says, next verse, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you have denied three times that you know me. That's self-confidence. And Jesus, in his tender way, says, you know what? Appreciate that enthusiasm. But if it's self-confidence... If there's any element of pride that we're followers of Jesus and that we're going to be able to do this thing in our own strength, we're going to miserably fail like Peter did. I think there's about actually six or seven accounts in the Gospels where Peter denied the Lord. It's not just sometimes the three that we think of. And yet, what occurred there with Peter in the Gospels, something changed when you switch and go fast forward to the uh, book of Acts. Because then in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we read these words. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated men, it says they were amazed. And they begin to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And if you understand the whole context of what's happening in the book of Acts in those first few chapters, what had occurred that was so significant is that significant was they were now filled with the Holy Spirit. They did not have the Holy Spirit filling them in the same sense in the Gospels. In Acts, they did. And now they were changed men and women because of the power of God dwelling within their lives. You think about it, you know, one of the subjects that probably brings most fears to the majority of us, among many things, in addition to having to come up and maybe share right now with me public speaking, which is a huge fear for most adults, But another huge fear is the fear of having to actually talk about Jesus. You know, if you look at it, the percentage of the books I've read, and I don't know quite where everyone comes up with this, but where they say what the percentage of Christians who actively verbally share their faith, I want to tell you that percentage is incredibly low. It's less than like 5% 
of believers who, and I'm not wanting to sound like any fingers are pointed because four are back at me, are just talking about Jesus with people that they're rubbing shoulders with, whether it's the neighbors or the coworkers or the students or wherever. And that's a whole other subject as to what's the issues behind that. But I know in and of myself, there's absolutely no confidence to do that. There's no boldness in that. And you imagine how many times the Bible talks about having boldness and not being filled with timidity and fear. I remember when I was in Ireland in 1979, 19 years old back then, and the group I was with said, you know, one of the things you're going to do is now we're going to have you do some street preaching. I... I don't know if I'd really hardly ever talk to anybody about Jesus on a one-on-one, let alone doing street preaching, where you'd be standing with a microphone and a sketchboard and doing some painting, and there'd be crowds of people walking by, on, especially on a sunny day, which was far and few between where I lived. But there would sometimes be maybe 100 people that would be standing listening to like a five-minute message. And I absolutely had zero confidence and ability to do this. And the knees were knocking, and the voice was quivering. Totally weak. And yet, as we begin to pray and as we begin to realize that it was God who was going to fill us to do this work, that the Spirit of God was going to empower us and give us the words, then it changed. And sure, there were still knees knocking on those first couple of occasions of speaking with a mic and talking to people and having some people, some drunk sometimes coming up, hey, what are you talking about? You know, and they'd be this close from you. And you just keep going and trying to, you know, ignore them and not draw attention to them. There was no strength for that. My ability in, for doing that didn't come from myself. That came from God. When you and I, maybe you're not in a position to where you can street preach here on the corner of, in Danville somewhere. I understand the foot traffic's not like that. But if you ever go to San Francisco or where you have that sense of where you want to share Jesus with someone, and it just seems like this is the divine opportunity right now. It's a divine appointment for you. Don't forget to go to God for strength and that the Spirit of God will give you the words to say in that situation. I remember one other time when we were doing door-to-door work back in the 80s. Actually, no, this was back in 79 as well where there was a... I was on one side of the street and there was a lady on another and we were with a team with Operation Mobilization and I had been bitten as a young kid by a dog and so I kind of had a fear of dogs. And I remember kind of going door to door in this one area and all of a sudden in Ireland there was like the thing I always remember about Ireland there were kids, just an, just an untold number of children and dogs. It just didn't have any leash law and they were all there one day, about five of them as a pack and they were eyeing me as I was getting closer and closer. And so I did the courageous thing, whereas I said to the girl that was across the street, hey, let's switch sides. So I went to this side, and she came to the other, and we're still going in this way. And then, of course, the dogs now that are on her side see me, and so instead of going toward her, they still cross the street and come at me. And I remember just dropping to my knees. I didn't know what else to do. And then the tails, they had tails, thankfully started to wag and everything was good. But a few, about an hour later, we went to a believer's home and one of the believers there was encouraging us just to keep pressing on. And he read from Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. And he's, it's actually the passage where Paul is talking about how the Israelites, the Jewish leaders, just how vicious they are. And they're the circumcision and just you have to watch out for them. And he says, which is funny because it was usually a term referred to for the Gentiles, But Paul says about the Jewish leaders, he said, beware of the dogs. 
And I didn't know very much back then, and I didn't understand the context back then. I thought, wow, even the scripture's addressing the dogs, you know. <laughs> this is a, somehow a physical reminder of physical dogs, you know, with four legs, which it wasn't. Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's a number of things that I am ashamed of. And if you were to say on a one-on-one in your life, there's probably a number of things we've all done where we'd say, you know, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. I wish that had never happened. You know, I, that, was, that was bad, whatever occurred there. But in the positive, Paul says, never be ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to those who believe. If you and I today were somehow given, and I don't know how it would happen, but just somehow someone here had given and said, you know what, in here is the cure. They gave us a little, maybe a pill, maybe it was 12 capsules, and it was the the cure to high blood pressure, never to have it again. And they said, give it out. Give it out. I imagine if we all were given our 12 capsules, we'd probably find those that we... We knew, you know, those that we, that we loved. And for those who had high blood pressure, we'd say, take it. There would be no fear. There'd be nothing to be ashamed about. And yet that is something that would only cure someone physically. Where Paul tells us that we have been given the gospel, this powerful good news that causes one who is headed and is headed to a Christless eternity if they receive the message of the Lord Jesus Christ and his salvation avoids that, repents of their sin, is now given eternal life. And you and I have been entrusted with this message. Second Corinthians 3.5, one of our main verses my wife and I memorized many, many, many years ago when we first left to go overseas, and it's just as true today in every situation I find myself in in my daily life. And it's where Paul said in Second Corinthians 3.5, not that we are adequate, in ourselves to consider anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. That's where our adequacy is, is, is found, in God. Chapter later in Second Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says, but we have this treasure, the treasure of the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the treasure. He says, we have this in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power of will be of God and not ourselves. This is the beauty of the message, is that God chooses to use you and I in all our weakness, in all our failings and frailty, and our ups and downs and our struggles. And as we share this good news with lips and by our lives, he gets the glory, like what happened on the weekend here, with people coming to Christ, because it's just in us earthen vessels. And he gets the glory when someone comes to the Lord Jesus. One of the things is if you've been called by Jesus, you've been called to him, and you spend time with him regularly, you meet with him, and you have that opportunity to be getting to know him better as one of his followers, one of the things he certainly wants to impart to us, and you can't miss it when you spend time with Jesus, is that he was a God of compassion. I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9 where we see this, and there's a common denominator, common denominator in every example we see in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 9. See if you see it. 
As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then you fast forward to verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, a synagogue official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up again to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. That once the woman was made well. And then 35, chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus was going through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness and seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I wonder if you saw there in Matthew 9. Nine, that Jesus saw a man. In verses 18 and following, Jesus saw a woman. And in verses 35 and following, Jesus saw the crowds. And in every situation, when he saw the multitude and he saw a woman and he saw a man, he felt something. And it caused him to do something. Every time that Jesus felt compassion, in the Gospels where we read that, he did something. He never just felt it and then left the situation as it was. It moved him to action. Turn, please, if you will, to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. Verse 22. And they came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him. Taking the blind man by the hand, he brought him out of the village, and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. You notice what he first saw. He said, I see men like like trees, you know, like objects. And I ask you, and I have asked myself this question, when I see people, when I see that person that I'm rubbing shoulders with, what what do I see? Do I see them as this impersonal object? Or do I need that touch of Jesus so that I can see them clearly? 
exactly as who they are, made in the image of God, lost without a Savior, in desperate need of salvation? Do I see maybe just their zip code of where they live, of the car they drive, of the clothes they wear, of where their address is? Or do I see them as God sees them? That's a question that has been challenging me whenever I come across someone to be thinking of that and ask God to remove the prejudices and whatever else, the biases that I may have toward that person. Stories told about William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army, and one night the light was on late in his home. And fearing that his father was sick, he had a son named Bramwell. And he went next door and he found his dad, and he found his dad pacing back and forth, and he was dressed in an old nightshirt, and he had this wet towel wrapped around his head because he had a a splitting headache. And his son said, you know, shouldn't you be sleeping, Dad? And William Booth said, no, I'm thinking. And William replied, and that's what he said, and, and seeing the puzzled look on his son's face, he walked over, and he placed his hands on Bramwell's shoulder, and he said, Bramwell, he said, I'm thinking about the people's sins. What will they do with their sins? Hebrews 9.27 has said that, uh, where it says that it is appointed for man to die once. And after this comes judgment, it's been said that God has hung a condemned sign over our planet. That man, woman, is going to die once. And then comes judgment. God has us in people's lives where that judgment is just coming. It's a coming judgment. It's pending. You ever get stopped for a traffic ticket? You don't pay the fine that day. You've got so much time, but you've got to pay. You don't pay, then there's a warrant. And it just gets kind of worse and worse from there. Have you escaped that judgment? Have you escaped to where no longer, in a sense, thinking about Jesus as a judge, you want to embrace him now as your Savior and be forgiven of all of your sin? Lastly, just in the few minutes we have together, God's not only called us by himself, to himself, but he's also called us, and I've been inferring it a number of times already, to be his witnesses, to be his ambassadors. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And the writer says, and you shall be my witnesses. Very words of the Lord Jesus. This is what God wants for us. You've got a job to do. Yeah, I know. I'm not talking about your job where you work. And I'm not talking about where you go to school or maybe whatever else you're doing in your home. Being a full-time mother and father in that context. But I'm saying that you've also, if you're a follower of Jesus today, have a job to do. You've been handpicked for the harvest. That God wants to use you to sow seed, to, to pray as we were hearing about today, and to be involved in the process of fruit bearing. We know it's God who causes the growth, is what Corinthians tells us. It's not ourselves. But we get this privilege of being involved in it. Remember the last words of Jesus in Matthew 28, if you memorize these as well, where he says, you know, go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. 
And lo, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. A marvelous verse that we love and we cling to, especially when we're talking about this scary subject of sharing our faith, because to remember, Jesus is going to be with us. But imagine if his last words weren't that at all. And he basically said, I'm turning you loose. Okay, enjoy your life now. Pursue all your ambitions. Do everything that you've dreamed of wanting to do. Whatever it is about the kingdom of God never existed. That wouldn't be the the great commission. That's not his words. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. God's intention. It always has been. It always will be. For you and I, we cannot get out of this. Not that we should want to, but it's to represent him and his interests while we're here on this earth. With life and lips. I love the verse in Acts where it talks about Jesus, all that he did and all that he taught. It was really a summary of his life. Everything that Jesus did and taught. It was the perfect balance of life. And the way you and I live makes a significant impact on others around us. Kindergarten teacher was observing her classroom of children while they were drawing. And she, you know, if you can remember back this far, if you were in, when you were in kindergarten, how the teacher would occasionally walk around and see each child's artwork. She came up by this, uh, this little girl who was working really hard, and she asked her what the drawing was, and the girl said, I'm drawing God. The teacher paused and said, but no one knows what God looks like. And without missing a beat or looking up from her drawing, the girl replied, they will in a minute. (laughs) What kind of picture of Christ am I drawing that others are watching and observing? At my job a few weeks ago, or about maybe it was about a month now, six weeks ago, I happened to be working one day when a brother in the Lord got the word that his his brother had died a very unexpected and sudden and tragic death in his early 30s. And I was upstairs in the radio room, and he was given the news right when he got to his shift, and he was calling for a couple of different people, and they weren't there. And so he said, can you have Randy come down? And so I went down and was involved in the process of just comforting and consoling and driving him back to his home in his car. And one thing led to another, and he then asked if I would do the memorial service. And um, it was an opportunity to preach and share the gospel with a number of folks who did not know the Savior. And one particular man that works at my job was one of the few from my department who came. And seed was sown that day, which we all had the opportunity to do. And we never know the impact it's going to have, do we? That's the exciting thing. We never know. Because he called me into his office. He uh, happens to be a, a lieutenant last week. And whenever you get called into the office, you're kind of wondering, what's this about, you know? And he just began to kind of share a little bit. And he'd gone to a funeral the night before for someone else in the police department whose family member had died. And he said, I just, I just, and he was stumbling a little bit, but he just said, I just was wondering if uh, you would do my memorial service when I, when I die. And, of course, he's only in his 40s, so I said, well, I have no guarantee I'm going to outlive you, but I would be honored uh, to do your memorial service. But I said, you know what, it really begs me the question that I wonder, are you ready to die? Are you ready for 
eternity. And I said, you know what, could we meet and talk about that sometime? And so that was a couple of weeks ago, and we're getting together this Wednesday in a couple of days to talk about that. So you might remember to pray for that opportunity with this man that I'll be having around lunchtime. But doesn't it make the, the workplace and, and wherever we are, if we're in school or wherever, doesn't it make it exciting? I mean, if you're one of these folks that loves the work you do, then you're really blessed. Like someone has said, if you love the work you do, you'll never work another day in your life if you're fortunate enough to be working. And I'm glad you are dean now. I didn't know that. That's, that was breaking news for me to hear that. But in addition to doing what you like, how awesome is it if you get up every day and you think, you know what, God, what opportunities are you going to bring wherever you have me today? If it's at the restaurant, if it's at the gas station, if it's wherever, how can I reflect the Lord Jesus in this situation with whom I'm going to be with? William Wilberforce, who was the, uh, I think it was in the 18th century or 17th century, he was the British politician who was very significantly used to have the slave trade abolished in England. And if you saw Amazing Grace, that was who it was about. Well, he had, before he had become a Christian, had an incredibly uh, fierce temper and uh, just temper tantrums. And he was just not a really nice guy in any stretch of the imagination. And his mother had heard that he was going to be visiting her at the cottage over the summer. And being a Christian back then wasn't really the most popular thing. And after seeing the change of his conduct and seeing this lightness and this sweetness, as she describes to a friend, that she saw in his spirit and how he behaved, she said to her friend, if this is madness, I hope that he will bite us all. And when others around us see something of Jesus and the way that he's being reflected in the way we live our lives, there's this wonderful beauty that it can have. And it's an attraction that others may say, I, I want that. What is this that you possess? Why are you like this? Why do you handle the trials the way you do? Why do you handle the grief the way you do? Back in 1982, when I was in the uh, intern training program, one of the students, we had 12 of us who were in that class. And one of my friends at the time, who I used to jog with and up at Lake Chabot in Castor Valley, uh, got melanoma cancer. And I think he was diagnosed in the summer. It had gone away maybe out a year or two previous, and it had come back. And he was diagnosed in November, and in, I believe it was April or May, he'd gone to be with the Lord about four months later. In his early 30s, about 32 And one of the nicest things I think I can ever remember someone saying about him at his memorial and how wonderful it would be if it was said of us. But of him, it was, his name was Rob, was this man said, Rob reminds me of Jesus. And wouldn't that be something special if the way that we're living our lives that other people would say, and we'd have the humility to receive it, that we, in some way, the way we speak, the way we act, we remind somebody of Jesus. What, a, what an absolute honest uh, honor and a privilege for that to be said. Rob's favorite verse was in Acts 20, 24. He had it memorized, and we didn't know it at the time. He didn't tell us, but he had memorized approximately a 1,000 verses of Scripture, and he was in his early 30s. And he said, but I do not consider my life, this was his favorite, of any account is dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God.
just in conclusion, and you know, if you have a chance, just flip real fast to Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. I love this in, in closing, where Paul is talking in Second Corinthians chapter two, verse fifteen and sixteen. He says, "For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved." And among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Cindy and I have been married about 27 years, I believe now. And I think it was about after seven years of being married that I saw her doing something that I had never understood why until she explained it to me. And it was, I'm used to, for a guy, when you put on cologne, you just do a quick squirt, squirt, and, you know, here and out the door. But what she would do is she would take her favorite cologne, which happens to be beautiful, and she would do the squirt and a squirt after she'd done here, but then this, this, and she'd go like this... And then turn around and do it again. And I, in my, usually it was, I'd be maybe just off midnight shift or whatever, and I'd kind of look and thought, why do you do that? And someone had taught her that that's the way that you get the best from head to toe effect of the cologne, of that fragrance. You just allow it to be on your whole person. So I haven't gone to that extent yet. I'm still doing this and this. But that beautiful fragrance, when she's around, people know that they smell Cindy. And it's that wonderful fragrance, and she has a number that she wears. Contrast that to myself when one day to work I was hungry and she had made me salmon and broccoli for dinner. And rather than waiting and eating it in some corner in some faraway part of the, of the police department, I decided I would eat it on the way to work. And I walked in, and as soon as I walked in the door, I'll never forget, someone said, what's that smell? (laughs) Somehow that salmon and broccoli had incriminated into my clothing, and they smelled it, either on my hands, because I was using my hands to eat. I apologize, I was. I was so hungry, I was just eating it on the way into work. We have the opportunity to have that, because of the Lord Jesus in our lives, to be that fragrance that will attract others, that fragrance of the Lord Jesus. And don't we want to be that life-giving perfume to those who are around us? In closing, last thing that just came to my mind, and I, was, I learned this about a month ago. It was the most awesome story I think I'd heard where a missionary from China had been over and he was visiting with us. And he was telling the story about how in, in this particular province in China, this woman had been sick. And she was in this hospital, and this, this Christian nurse came to her, and, and this woman was feeling all, a lot of darkness, possible demonic kind of oppression and stuff like this. And this Christian lady said to her, why don't you just sing these wonderful songs about Jesus? And she gave her the words, and she did, and she felt this darkness in her bedroom or her hospital room lift. The lady, after she was well and had recovered, went and was trying to find this nurse in the hospital and could not find her. Ten years passed, and this missionary friend of ours who was sharing with us a few months ago 
was riding his bicycle with another fellow and they went into this hotel lobby to stop and get something to eat. And the woman that waited on them happened to be this woman who had been sick 10 years ago. And they gave her a piece of literature and they very briefly started to talk about Jesus and she immediately, immediately wanted to have this man as her savior. And they were initially a little bit suspicious as to, this is a little bit fast. Why so quick would you be ready to receive the message? And she said, I've been waiting for 10 years, 10 years for someone to tell me this gospel message that this nurse had started to, and I couldn't find one. And that was in China. And the Lord brought that man into her life. How many other men and women may there be that are in our lives that are just waiting to hear and we might be the spokesperson for them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are such an exciting God and such an awesome God that we really can be uh, excited about you and wanting to tell others about you because you're the only one who could forgive someone of all their sin. You're the only one that gives salvation. You're the only one that gives joy despite heartache. And you are just an amazing God. I pray that you will give us even this coming week Remind us that we've been handpicked and chosen by you to be involved in sharing you with others. We pray for divine opportunities and wonderful uh, conversations and situations that will happen, even this coming week, as we seek to live you and love you. We thank you, Lord, for such a great salvation. We thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.